All right. Hey there, shotgun rider. That's you, the listener, riding shotgun with me today. I am driving at night, and it has been a while since I did my first installment, and I don't know, I just, time got away from me, uh, just kind of dropped the ball, so thanks for being patient with me, thanks for coming back, uh, this is the first one that you're listening to, I recommend go back, <clears throat> listen to the one called Introduction, and uh, get familiar with me. And I decided on the topic for this based on something that I've actually been hearing a lot lately is, you know, uh, we're in the middle of a global pandemic right now. And I think this is applicable for the current time and, you know, afterwards. Not necessarily strictly for the pandemic, um, but it is something that I've heard some people say that they've been dealing with um, kind of as a side effect of the pandemic, um, as a result of all the quarantining, and it's something that I myself have dealt with, oh, I don't know, most of my adult life, I guess. Um, And not to keep you in suspense, but uh, I mean, you've already read it in the title, but in case maybe it's just on a free play, um, the topic is depression. So, and I think depression comes in in a couple of different forms, you know, um, it can come as a, just feeling down or a little sad for a short amount of time or, you know, uh, more of a deeper, longer lasting, uh, state of being, maybe clinical depression, um, and uh, I, th- I think it's important to take care of your mental health and your mental state, especially since of the way that I experience depression. Um, we'll go back. I played uh, football when I was in high school and about the middle of our season, uh, we really got the, got the crap kicked out of us by one team. And I was on the kickoff return team. So if you're not familiar with football, when the team you're playing against scores a bunch of touchdowns, they get to kick off to you after every touchdown. And I was on the kickoff return team, so we were returning a lot of kickoffs. And I was actually, my position was on the front row. So 
the team runs up and kicks the ball. My job was to run backwards about 10 yards, turn around, and the first person that comes into my line of sight, I'm supposed to block that guy. And it happened to be the guy about my size, and we had head-on collision, I don't know, seven times, because <laughs> they scored seven, seven touchdowns. And it was pretty, mm, pretty violent contact, I would say, every time. You know, he was, he was pretty fast, I'm pretty fast. And uh, what ended up happening, uh, I started getting some migraines after that game. Uh, the first week, I think I had three migraines. Second week, I had four or five. Um, so I ended up going to a chiropractor and I had pinched nerves in my neck. Uh, series of three discs had kind of turned opposite directions and I had some nerves in my neck that were pinched in a couple of different spots. Um, now, I don't really honestly remember much about that game, so I probably had a concussion. Uh, you know, when I watched film the next week of the game, I, I didn't really remember much of what I was seeing. So, and I never had a CAT scan or anything like that, but from what we know now, about head injuries, about playing football, you know, um, I'm sure that that did some damage. Um, I also, I also did some damage on my own, you know, um, as a young person, not really being aware of the things that I was doing to my body. Um, there was a time where I had a broken nose and a time where I had my wisdom teeth removed and the doctors prescribed some pretty heavy painkillers for that. Uh, opiates, uh, Oxycontin, Contin, uh, however you say it. I know I was on those for both times. And, you know, when you have a prescription like that, at the time, you know, we're talking back in the early 2000s <clears throat> when I was in high school, all of this. Uh, you know, if I took one as prescribed, you know, in a month's time, uh, say from the first time I took it to about the fifth time or sixth time I was taking it. <clears throat> so I would say, I don't know. A week or maybe two weeks, one pill wasn't having the same effect, so I would kind of double down on those. And of course, we all know how that goes. You know, you can you can look at <clears throat> the current condition of you know people that are on opiates a lot. You know, you become pretty dependent on that, and it actually does affect serotonin receptors in your brain and uh, it has some pretty long-lasting effects that people who were prescribed them at the very beginning you know we weren't 
given that information readily, you know, if, if, and it was basically, I guess because of, because of money, you know, uh, there's some documentaries you can look back on, uh, that talk about this, I guess, opioid epidemic that happened in our country. And that is where I got most of my information and knowledge from, you know, which it sounds kind of backwards. And that information you would think would come from a doctor, but nonetheless. And I also did some pretty good damage to myself uh, concerning... I guess abusing alcohol as a young as a younger person, um, you know, which even though the the dangers of that were pretty well known and advertised, you know, when you're I don't I don't know. This is just what we did, you know, when we were in high school. Me and my buddies would get someone to buy beer for us, and Saturday night we would drink a bunch of beer and just hanging out. Nothing too crazy, I wouldn't say. Although that is, you know, it's <laughs> very much illegal and a lot of people could have gotten in trouble for it. So, you know, we weren't out, I don't know, damaging property or anything like that. You know, it was, most of the damage was self-inflicted. And uh, I continued that into my 20s, I would say. I was probably 30 or older before I stopped, uh, you know, really abusing alcohol per what the CDC or the Surgeon General says is alcohol abuse, you know, binge drinking on the weekends or when I had time off of work. And that definitely has effects in your brain when it comes to, uh, you know, re serotonin receptors, the production of serotonin in your brain, um, dopamine receptors, the production of dopamine in your brain, which all, all of that can be linked back to depression. Um, most of the people that get on, I, I think they're called SSIs, which is, uh, which is a drug that's prescribed to you um, and it's supposed to correct an imbalance. So, you know, the part of your brain that's, that's producing serotonin or the receptors are not... Well, I, I think actually, and you can look this up, but from my recollection, SSIs are prescribed to... Uh, to correct the imbalance because the parts of your brain that are producing serotonin are not producing an adequate amount. And, and that has a big effect because uh, if your brain's not producing the right chemicals uh, and it's going to create an imbalance, that's going to shape the way that you think about things. It's going to it's going to affect the way that you uh, perceive the world. It's going to affect 
you know, your attitude, just really everything. And, you know, I've had times where I was down in the dumps or blue, just being sad. Um, you know, sometimes that's life circumstances. You know, if, if someone close to you passes away or you lose your job, you know, there, you know, any kind of quote unquote bad situation can lead to that. And, you know, most of the time that will pass unless you've got, you know, like clinical depression or, you know, something like that. So, and this is just how my experience went, you know. Uh, so all of that damage to my brain, uh, some self-inflicted, some accidental, um, which I believe definitely, definitely set the foundation for my experience. And I guess I was never really aware of the importance of, you know, monitoring and taking action, uh, being proactive with one's mental health. I guess I just kind of had a narrow view of things of like, you know, I would wake up and, and not be very happy, be in a sad mood or down in the dumps, and I just kind of accepted it. You know, I, I wasn't proactive in making changes to remedy that situation when it became a week of being down in the dumps or sad. And I would say there were times, you know, I would experience it um, maybe after a few days of drinking, you know, be kind of down for a few days until I kind of started feeling right again. Um, then sometimes it would be a week. Sometimes it would just be a few days. Um, I guess, you know, I had... I don't know how to really say, I guess I had a cavalier attitude about it, you know, just like, well, I guess this is just how it is and, and give it some time and it'll pass. And sometimes it would, and sometimes it would hang around even longer. Um, when I was in my late twenties, it became a very serious issue. Uh, I moved out of Texas, uh, was living in a state that was pr hit pretty hard in 2008 with the financial crisis and the economic recovery was slow and most, mostly because the industry that was in that area, you know, it was directly affected by the housing boom and there wasn't much industry outside of, uh, I guess, the timber industry, you know, harvesting wood, a natural resource to build homes, ship around the country. So there wasn't a lot of money there and there weren't a lot of opportunities, which I was aware of uh, when I moved there. 
and it turned out uh, it probably took me six or seven months to find a job uh, a full not and even then it wasn't full-time uh, but to find steady employment um, you know it was it was pretty rough moved to a, a very small community where I didn't know very many people so I wasn't able to rely on my reputation uh, of being someone with a good work ethic. Um, the experience in work that I had was not really translatable because at that time I mostly had oil field experience and there was no oil field there. Um, I did have a little bit of experience working in convenience stores um, and and that's kind of where I finally ended up uh, got a job at a convenience store working the early morning shift it was not full-time um, you know 30 36 hours a week no health benefits uh, right above minimum wage for the pay and you know that that's not a lot of income for a person uh, so I ended up also uh, getting a job during the spring summer and early fall uh, cleaning motel rooms but again when I first moved there I didn't have that so that this kind of took a while for me to get these gigs and that had a pretty big effect on me as not being able, you know, to provide for myself. Uh, right before that move happened, uh, my grandmother passed away. Uh, she had been uh, living in a nursing home for many years, suffering from Alzheimer's. And it was very, very tough to have her, have her go through that, you know, to witness that. Um, and you would think after seeing that terrible, terrible state of being that her passing away would be a relief, um, it's kind of hard to explain. Um, because although she wasn't mentally there, she was still there for me. You know, she, she still existed. And so when she passed away, it was pretty difficult. Um, I was her first grandchild. I, we had a very special bond, I would say. Uh, you know, some some guys are mama's boys. I was more of a grandmama's boy, I guess. So that was kind of difficult to deal with. And that happened just a few months before I moved. Um, another thing that happened uh, before I moved was an incident at a family member's wedding. Uh, I spoke in the first podcast about a bunch of my family having a, a negative reaction to finding out that I was gay, you know, I, I was outed by someone. If, uh, if, if you haven't heard that one, go back and listen to that one. It, it kind of explains that. but. At a family function, a wedding, uh, I had a family member kind of coax me 
into a compromising position where I was alone with them and you know ba basically he assaulted me uh, bruised some ribs blacked my eye uh, and the motivation for that person to commit that act was that I was gay um, there was no other reason no other justification you know it it became pretty clear afterwards that that was what was going on and unfortunately I allowed myself to be put into that situation you know of course at a wedding everyone's drinking I wasn't really watching my own back and uh, anyways that happened so all of that kind of compounded on itself and you know me not taking care of my mental state it just started getting worse and worse um, it's kind of a snowball effect um, when your brain starts developing a pattern whether it's good or bad the longer that that pattern runs you know the more difficult it is to reverse and address and I guess one time when I was in my 20s, uh, I'd been feeling particularly down and I went to a therapist, I guess a psychiatrist, a PhD, and you know, she was like, have you tried talk therapy? And of course I had before and I said yes and you know, it, it gets me so far, I was thinking maybe I'd like to try you know maybe a prescription maybe something I could take for a little while and she's you know that that doctor explained to me well these these drugs are not something that you can really take for a while and then just not take in a in a week or a month's time you know and I said well what what is one that would affect me the least I guess you know what's and I, and I ended up getting a prescription for it, and I took it for a while, and I didn't really like it. So um, early on, I kind of knew that I didn't like the side effects of those drugs and that I didn't want to go down that road at all. And I kind of, I guess I kind of felt like I had to tough it out on my own, but... I didn't really have the tools to deal with that and unfortunately I wasn't aware of it and and things just got worse and worse and worse and I became I guess I would say clinically depressed um, you know it was something that it wasn't passing in a week's time or even a month's time it was getting worse it affected my relationships with other people um, you know I didn't want to do anything before I got a job you know there weren't that many jobs up there to apply to and so I could literally lay in bed all day and you know I didn't really have anything to do so I wouldn't do anything and 
you know it wasn't like a see I think some people don't understand that depression doesn't just mean I'm just gonna sit here and be sad and cry all day um, when you get into a deep depression I would say nine nine times out of ten what I would describe my feeling at that time of was just numbness you know um, I didn't want to exist I didn't want to be anywhere uh, it wasn't that I wanted to commit suicide you know of course I contemplated that but actually going to a place where I was going to take action like that it, it never came to that. It was just I didn't want to be anywhere. I didn't want to exist. Um, I felt like my life had very little meaning. And it was very empty, you know. Um, I pushed people away. People, even people that were trying to help me. Um, because I was comfortable in, in that state. Uh, I had become complacent and I didn't see it as a bad thing, I guess. I wasn't aware of how it was affecting people around me. I didn't care, really, that it was affecting people around me to a certain extent. Uh, you know, I was kind of difficult to be around. I didn't have anything good to say, always quick with a negative word. and. I do have a quick wit, so, you know, I was able to play it off as, you know, just joking around, but sometimes the things that I was saying were hurtful, you know, hurt, definitely hurtful to other people, and hurtful words to say against myself, and I really didn't have uh, close relationships because of the, because of the move. You know, I was very far away from people that I had close relationships with. And there was no one really to keep me in check. Uh, I just kind of was already depressed when I moved there. And so I don't think people knew me outside of being depressed. And so there was very, very little, if any, accountability there. And... I definitely wasn't being accountable to myself, you know. Um, and I let things get, like, really super seriously bad. Like I said, you know, wanting to lay in bed all day. Uh, of course, it's when I got a job, <clears throat> when those opportunities came up, I was able to compartmentalize my depression because... I had to go make money, you know, uh, I had to get up and go to work, but outside of that, you know, I really didn't do much, I didn't have very much motivation, I didn't have uh, any desire or passion in my life, no hobbies, no goals, it was just go to work, pay my rent, pay for food, buy some alcohol for my off time. Uh, Every once in a while, buy some weed, and then that was it. You know, it was a pretty, pretty bleak existence with not much going on.
and uh, you know I I guess it was probably oh maybe nine months or a year that it was like that you know it was really really bad and finally someone in my life gave me an ultimatum you know I I had to go get help because the way that I was was unacceptable you know um, no one wanted to be around me and I was actually a burden and so when I was told that I did go I, I sought out the help of a therapist and you know my own assessment of me I was drinking every day so I said well I'm an alcoholic I need to go get sober and stop relying on alcohol to skew my perspective of my life you know I I think maybe maybe not so much today but when I was coming up uh, an addict was someone that well okay to me an addict was someone that just liked to do substances you know uh, whether it be cocaine uh, methamphetamine uh, heroin it was someone that was hooked on a substance like that alcohol I'll include alcohol um, tobacco you know there there's a lot of different addictions and what I came to realize that was that it's not just that physical addiction or you know the altering your state of mind but an addict is someone that doesn't like their reality it's someone that is looking to escape reality and there's a lot of reasons for that you know someone can be addicted to gambling and you know they're trying to change their reality because one reason or another they don't like their existence and that was definitely me you know um, using multiple things to change my reality and I guess realizing that and being honest about that wasn't very difficult to do um, it was easy for me to admit that to myself um, I guess because I knew you know every time I opened a container of alcohol or bought a bottle or a can or whatever it was every time I decided to ingest alcohol it was for a purpose it was so that I would be in a better mood you know I knew that from the very beginning I knew that's why I was using alcohol and uh, marijuana and so you know uh, I I was very uncomfortable when I was sober um, I didn't have very much control under the influence of alcohol you know you lose your inhibitions whatever pops in your mind you say you know whatever there, there was no 
I didn't have to be premeditated. I didn't have to think about things. I didn't have to be a person. There was no accountability, you know. Just whatever comes up is what happens. And yeah, that's fun and all until, you know, you're being an asshole and people are just kind of tolerating you, uh, which was my circumstance, you know. Uh, and it, and that's a, that's pretty diff. That was the part I guess that was difficult for me to deal with, was when I realized the negative effect I was having on the people around me, because it definitely wasn't intentional. Um, you know, I was trying to build relationships, but I couldn't <laughs> seem to get out of my own way, and most of that was because I was an asshole when I was drunk. You know. Um, even though I wasn't trying to be, you know, maybe trying to be funny or quote-unquote life of the party, yet I know I came off like an asshole looking back. Yeah, that was probably pretty difficult. Um, another difficult part was deciding that I wanted to make a change. Uh, I'm gonna take a little break right here. Um, it's just gonna be a little pause for you. I'm just gonna take a little break. So, uh, be right back. <laughs> okay, I am back. So, yeah, the next difficult part of that process was I considered myself an alcoholic, so in order to make a change, I guess I thought, and this is what I struggled with a lot, was, what, am I never going to be able to drink alcohol again? Because, you know, in some social settings, and responsibly, it's a social lubricant, it's fun. I mean, going to have a drink is a good time, you know? Uh, that's pretty obvious um, you know there's a huge industry in our country that revolves right around that you know restaurants and bars and stuff like that nightclubs you know you can even go to movie theaters now where they serve alcohol so it's it's readily available and I guess I thought well if I make this change then I'm gonna struggle with not drinking because everywhere I go I'm gonna want to drink and that ended up not being true once I got into it because I guess just myself uh, you know once I'm in my right mind I do have the willpower to say well I don't want to drink so it's not a big deal I guess some people uh, struggle with that differently where it's like a constant urge I I'm not really that guy, I guess, you know, if I can go out and not have drinks, I can stay in and not have drinks, or I can say, hey, I want a drink tonight, and put a, put a pretty big dent in a bottle of liquor, or a bottle of wine, or a case of beer, or, you know, whatever it is. Binge drinking is still a thing that, that I can do if, I don't know, maybe absentmindedly, or even if I put my mind to it, so. 
Um, that part of the depression, I guess, was just in my head. Um, another part of it that was difficult for me was not really not really being comfortable with a mindset of contentness and joy happiness and appreciation you know those those concepts and those mindsets had been distant to me for a while i would say at least a year and i wasn't consciously afraid of that but once i started to pull myself out i realized that i was very uncomfortable in that headspace um, and that was something that i had to get used to over time so let's say i let myself go for a year into this deep depression um, i I think it took me three years to to climb out of it. Um, you know, it was three. It was at least at least a year and a half before it was not something that I had to address on a daily basis. So the longer that you let that mindset go, the deeper entrenched it becomes in your life the more difficult it's going to be to reverse that and one of the biggest things that I struggled with was anytime anything came up I always had something negative to say um, and that's gonna come from you know negative thoughts I'm a firm believer that your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, and your actions become your habits. And after a year of that, of living like that, you know, all of my thoughts initially were negative. Um, all of my words were negative. All of my habit, my actions and my habits were negative. So to reverse that, you know, you have to start at your thoughts, your thought process. Um, I would say it was at least a year of me being very hyper aware of my thoughts. And when a thought would come into my head that was negative, I would have to say, Acknowledge it, you know, hey, that is a negative thought. Don't think that. Instead, think of something positive. Focus on something positive. And, you know, for the better part of a year, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, that was my existence of, you know, fighting the thoughts that came into my head, not allowing those negative thoughts to sit there and have precedence you know I I had to I had to address it at that basic level every day every moment and it was a year 
a good year before I had a day where I was like, hey, I didn't have any negative thoughts in this time period. Wow, that's remarkable. That's a change. Um, I probably went to the to a therapist for about five or six months. And yeah, I kind of jumped ahead of myself. So I did go to a therapist for five or six months. And, you know, when you need help, it's funny how things happen when you are open to the help. Uh, you know, I realized that I needed help. And so I sought it out. And I got a really good therapist. Um, excellent therapist. She agreed with me that, you know, in my condition, I didn't need drugs. She didn't want to prescribe me drugs. Uh, she kind of understood where I was coming from. And that's because I was 100% honest and open. You know, if, if you're going to go and seek out help, even though it's painful um, and anxiety-inducing, to be that open and honest about something that's so personal and internal, is an, it's intimidating. And it's... It's a very big hurdle to get over. It was for me. But I found that it was a bigger hurdle in my head than it actually physically was to jump over. Um, you know, going into that process, I knew that I had to be open and honest. Otherwise, I was just wasting my time. And... I was nervous, you know. Uh, I can remember sitting in her office for the first time. I was fidgety. I was kind of sweating. I was moving around in my chair a lot. I was uncomfortable. You know, the mental block or the mental anxiety would manifest itself physically. And that happened the first few times that we met. and. And she noted it. And later on, when I was more comfortable talking to her, we discussed it. You know, she said, do you realize the difference right now? And I was like, not really. She was like, well, you're more comfortable. You're more relaxed. Um, it doesn't take a long time for you to open up and be real honest. And she was like, so you're making, you know, I was making progress even though I was struggling. And, of course, at that time, in the moment, I couldn't really see the progress. It just felt like I was struggling and struggling. So, and, and that's important, and I mention that because if you're dealing with this and you're seeing a professional, um... You want to you want to hear those things. Um, you want that feedback so that you know that you're making progress. Um, I've heard some people talk about therapy, about how they've been to 
a therap the same therapist for years and years and years and they're still dealing with the same issues and what I think about that is well you know that therapist isn't really doing their job because that therapist should be giving you the tools and teaching you the tools to deal with things that are roadblocks for you and I just would like to recommend if if you get to that point and you're not making progress you got to get a new therapist um, maybe just even for a second opinion you know a different perspective fresh eyes a fresh mind on the situation um, so keep that in mind if that's a route that you need to take and I got to a point, I guess, after about five or six months where we were only meeting once a month. And, you know, at the end of every session, she would say, well, when do you want to see me again? You know, the direction and control of my progress was really put into my hands you know it was it was like well what do you need was the question being asked to me and and you know at a certain point we went to once every couple of weeks once every three weeks once a month and the reason for that is because I was learning these tools and I was able to use these tools in my life to address my mental health and you know I was beginning to be proactive and responsible, you know, to my state of mind, which I think is really important. That's really important because, well, you know, regardless of your outside situations, at a certain point, we all have to take responsibility for ourselves, you know. Um, and mental health falls along with, are you getting enough sleep? Are you eating food right? You know, are you taking care of your body? You know, mental health falls under that, under that uh, umbrella. And that umbrella is your self's responsibility. You know, it's not someone else's responsibility to make sure that you're eating right you know, that, that you're fueling your body correctly, that you're taking care of yourself, you know, that you can't blame someone else for that. That's, that's only your responsibility. And I was never, I never really thought about it like that, I guess, especially my mental health, you know. Um, but it 100% is true, and it is my responsibility to take care of myself. And I developed the mindset that I, and this took several years, but I developed the mindset that it doesn't matter what the circumstances are around me. Um, I am this type of person and this is who I need to be to the world, to the world around me.
you know. Um, so I decided that, you know, the temporary circumstances and situations that I was going through were not going to shape who I am or how I act. And that, I think, is a very, very important step to take. It's a very big acknowledgement. And I, I'm not sure, I've never really talked about that very much with other people. Um, you know, I, I did have, <laughs> I think, it's funny how life challenges you, okay? Um, so when, when I first got my mind wrapped around that, it was actually shortly after I'd gone to get my CDL, commercial driver's license, to be a truck driver. And I was on the road with my trainer. I went out on, after I got my license, uh, I went out on the road with the trainer it was supposed to be for an X amount of miles. You know, we had certain things that you had to accomplish uh, in a certain amount of time. And we actually, he actually was, he had 20 years experience as a truck driver with this one company. And he was one of the very few that were permitted to chain up, okay? And let me explain that. Now, in the wintertime, uh, when you're driving an 18-wheeler in uh, certain areas and uh, definitely through mountain passes, um, you have to at least carry chains. And those are chains that you put around the tires of the 18-wheeler. Um, you may be familiar with that. You know, they, they are also used for cars because certain states in certain areas during the winter times and times where it will snow will require you to carry. And then when the weather gets bad enough, you actually have to stop and, uh, you know, put those chains on before they'll let you drive down the road because hey, they don't want to be rescuing everybody, you know, during this blizzard on a certain part of the road. And so we did a lot of our driving, me with my trainer, in the Pacific Northwest because he was permitted to, you know, stop and put the chains on and go ahead and keep driving through a blizzard or through a storm down or up a mountain pass. And we were in Idaho uh, we had just driven there to uh, switch trailers with another driver who was not permitted to run chains. Um, and we were going to be driving through a blizzard, through a mountain pass. And I had started the, started the trip driving and, and we got there and we swapped trailers. And it was snowing pretty good, but you know, chains weren't required, so the plan was for me to continue driving. And uh, we were having some difficulty uh, adjusting the sliding tandems on the trailer because, you know, the ground, uh, there was some snow, some ice, and we were having problems getting the tandems to slide. Uh, 
And that, that's basically how you adjust the weight on the trailer. Uh, you can slide the tandems forwards or backwards uh, to adjust the weight, distribution, and it, it has to be to certain specifications uh, when you go through a, uh, a scale on the highway uh, where you pull off the highway and the, 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 that state's DOT checks your weight. You know, um, it, ha it has to be within a certain specification or you can get a ticket for being overweight. And uh, the purpose for that, it, it's called a bridge law. Um, if you have too much weight uh, pushing on either side of the bridge, because most bridges come together, it's two pieces that come together. Uh, if you have too much weight on one side or the other, you can actually separate those two pieces. And uh, so there's a formula that goes into that. Um, if you're interested in that, you can look up uh, a bridge formula or uh, sliding tando axum weight, you know. Uh, so we were in Idaho at a truck stop and we were trying to get the tandems to slide. And uh, basically how you do that is you set your brakes so that the wheels won't slide. Uh, so the wheels won't roll so that you can slide uh, the tandem and while we were doing that I got a phone call and the nature of that phone call was there was someone back at the company assigned to me or I was assigned to them uh, and he called me every week to check in how's how's it going on the road how many miles have you gotten? Uh, are you keeping up with your online online assessments? Uh, stuff like that. How's it going with your trainer? Just just to check in. And I was on the phone, and my trainer came up, and he said something to me, and I said, "Just a second, because the guy on the phone was trying to tell me something, and." He got pretty irritated at that, and he shooed me away from being in the driver's seat, which I understand, and um, basically, he kind of chewed me out afterwards. Now, my perspective on it was, I know that we were trying to do something, uh, I was just talking to the guy at the company momentarily. I was actually about to ask him, hey, can I call you back and finish this conversation so that we can, you know, get, get back on the road. But I didn't have that opportunity, and I didn't want to cut him off in the middle of, uh, in the middle of his, you know, little spill of what he was asking of me. So, he kind of chewed me out, and he told me I couldn't drive for the rest of the day, and I was pretty upset. And so I went in the back, and I laid down on the bunk, and we drove for a few hours, and he finally called me up to the front and said, you know, 
he said we need to talk about what was going on you know we have a job to do out here and you can't be on your phone while we're trying to do work there's people waiting on us the road conditions were getting worse and I said I realize all of that but I wasn't going to be rude to the guy from the company on the phone and interrupt him. I said, if you had given me just a few moments, I was actually trying to get to a point where I could end the conversation and call him back. And this is the key point. I said, I can't allow what's going on around me, outside situations, temporary circumstances, to allow me to be rude to someone. You know, I, I'm not going to let that happen. I don't let that happen. And he sat for a few minutes and thought about that. And he said, you know, you're right. He was like, um, I should have given you the opportunity. I apologize. You know, this is my fault. Uh, let, you know, I, I hope you can move on from this and we can finish up your training. And, and we did. And it was great. You know, uh, we actually ended up staying out on the road it took us a little bit longer than what it should have uh, just because of where we were driving you know some days I couldn't drive because of winter storms uh, but I realized the benefit that I had and the great teacher that I had you know so I wanted to stick it out and learn as much from him as I possibly could and that was actually the first time when I said that, that was the first time I realized it, that I'm not going to let temporary circumstances change who I am. You know, I'm responsible for me, the good and the bad. And it doesn't matter if something bad is happening to me. If I'm, you know, shitty to someone or rude to someone, I can't just say, well, look at all these other circumstances. That's not an acceptable excuse, you know, um, because I said what I said or did what I did that was kind of rude or shitty. And, you know, I'm responsible for that. I can't I can't blame outside circumstances for that. I'm coming up on an hour here and I need to start a new segment. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and take a little pause and I'll be right back. Okay, back from my little break. So let me back up a little bit. Yeah, the first time I said that out loud was the first time I realized how important that was, you know, um, not to let outside circumstances dictate how I act and the things that I say and my attitude, you know, and I believe that to this day, it's, and it's very important to me that I don't let things, temporary circumstances change who I am because I firmly believe that I'm here to change the world. I'm here to make the world a better place. Uh, you know, in each moment of each day, I have a choice to be happy and 
be positive and spread that happiness, the love and the positivity in the situation that I'm at, that I'm in or to let negativity and fear shape my influence. And I don't like what happens when negativity and fear shapes my influence. I like having a positive influence. I like I like bringing a smile to people's faces. I like I like having a positive influence on the situations that I'm in. You know, uh, I think it's good to leave things better than what you found them. You know, I, that's a goal of mine. A personal goal of mine is to leave things better than how I found them. Have a change my little corner of the world for the better and that can be a big grand gesture or it can be a small gesture you know a small gesture small as small as just smiling and complimenting someone so let me go back to what I was saying about my thought process how I had to be very vigilant with my thought process. That was one step in reversing my depression. Another step was getting out of my own head. And what I mean by that is getting my mind off of my problems. Because when you're depressed, you know, you kind of get in this loop. Um, and it's a pattern, a brain pattern, a thought process of only focusing on your own circumstances. And overthinking is a big, was a big, uh, was a big contributor to my depression. And a friend of mine offered me a solution out of that as well as the therapist you know it was it, it's something funny when you're getting help you know the universe is going to provide you with the answers in many different ways and I got this answer in a few different ways um, a way to clear your head and also to make a positive impact in the world is to focus your thoughts on someone else. Uh, find the problem that someone else is dealing with and try to make it better for them. You know, small acts of kindness. Um, just taking your mind off your own problems and putting your critical thinking and your uniqueness to someone else's problems will, number one, Add a new, fresh perspective to something that may be stumping that other person, and you may find a solution. Um, you know, you may alleviate a bad situation for someone else. And I think one of the important things when taking that approach, if you're going to apply your, your mind and your thought your uniqueness to someone else's problems is 
you're not doing that for praise, okay? Um, you're not doing that for the thank you. It's nice to be thanked. It's nice to be appreciated. But my intent was to find, uh, to find some alleviation for myself. And so I wasn't focused on doing something for someone so that they owe me something or doing something for someone so that they think of me in a certain way or so that they'll appreciate me. You know, I was, my intention was just to find a way to get out of my own head. And one way to get out of your own head is just to go for a walk. Go out and be in nature and and be present in nature, you know? Um, focus on your setting. Get out, you gotta get out of the house. You gotta go for a walk, you know? Get out in nature and find something about nature to appreciate. That's a real easy thing to do. <laughs> Um, and when you're, when you do that, you know, it's kind of the same as helping someone, um, because you're saying to the universe, I'm going to go out into the natural world and find something to appreciate. So you're essentially thanking the universe for this existence. You're being grateful for it. You're being mindful of it. And I think that's the same as, you know, finding another person to help. You know, you're, you're going to give your energy and your effort to something other than yourself. You know, that, that's the key right there. That's the motivation, your in, initial... Uh, uh, how do you say, uh, your intention, right, that's what I was searching for, so your intention, you know, deep in yourself, when you decide to do something, you know, your motivation and your intention is important, you know, uh, so, so having that in mind and doing that is really important because it's going to take you into a place of gratitude and appreciation, uh, especially the part about going out into nature and finding something to appreciate, um, because that that's important in getting out of depression because a appreciative and grateful mind is something that's gonna lead, it's gonna lead you to a a better mindset and it you do have to practice it uh, and eventually it'll come it'll come to you naturally you know once you reverse that negative thought process and you have a positive thought process you know it, it'll come natural and it won't be quite a struggle um, that's the part of this whole process I think that took me the longest. Uh, that probably took the full three years. And, and I'm not saying that it's gonna take you three years to do this, you know. Uh, it, 
it definitely depends on how deep into the depression you are and it depends on you as a person you know um but when you're going from a depressed mindset to a grateful or thankful mindset you know you're literally rewiring your brain you're redirecting the pathways that the neurons fire on you know just like a I don't know if you've ever been out in a pasture um, where a rancher keeps cattle you can find the you can find the path that the cows walk on a lot because there's no grass there so it's really easy to find that path and follow it and if you're out blazing a new path it's going to be kind of difficult because you're kind of in some tall vegetation you're in the thicket thick weeds you don't really know where to go um, but eventually you know if you keep at it you will you'll you'll develop that path in your brain chemistry of having a positive mind a grateful mind a thankful mind and it's not easy but it's definitely something to strive for you know that's something that I strive for it's not something that you can do unconsciously and you know when you put that put that kind of effort and energy into something uh, you know people always say well you're gonna get what you you're gonna get out of a situation what you put into it that's definitely true in this circumstance um, you know having gratitude versus having expectations uh, there's a song <laughs> Uh, you can look it up. It's by Ray Wiley Hubbard. And there's a lyric in one of his songs that says, The days that I have gratitude. Hold on. I'm going to have to look it up. Hold just a second. Okay, so the song is Mother Blues by Ray Wiley Hubbard. And the lyric is, the days where my gratitude is higher than my expectations, I have really good days. And there's a lot of truth to that, you know. Um, we can't really have a bunch of expectations of other people or other situations because those other people and other situations, that's beyond our control. So if you have expectations of other people and other situations, you know, you're, you're going to be very disappointed. Every once in a while you might get lucky and your expectations might get met. But I can tell you from experience, nine times out of ten, you're going to have some disappointment. So to avoid that disappointment, you just nip it, nip it at the butt, right where it starts, right in your own mind things that you can't control don't have expectations just try to find some gratitude you know I'm not really laying this out as a blueprint 
of how to, quote unquote, how to overcome depression. But this is how I did it. And, you know, I did rely on professional help for a little while so that I could learn some tools to help me because I didn't really have the tools to do the job. You know, and people go to school for a very, very long time to help other people in this area of life, you know, with mental health, with depression, with anxiety. And with me, there was a stigma about, you know, going to get help because of my pride. And... I just want to encourage you, if you are experiencing this, and it's something that you feel overwhelmed with, to go go find someone to talk to about it, you know. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist, but that is someone who's going to have the tools uh, They've learned the tools that help. They can teach you the tools to help. You know, um, just reach out to someone. And it may feel overwhelming to do that. It may feel um, just because of the personal nature of our own mental health, it may feel scary to come to another person with such rawness and openness. Uh, the vulnerability is overwhelming. Trust me, I get it. I get it. And if you don't have someone that you feel comfortable talking to about that, reach out to me because I can listen and I can also help you find you know, someone with the tools to help you start helping yourself. You know, uh, like an addict that's going to get help, the first step is admitting that you have a problem. So the first step is going to be reaching out to get help. And it does feel very intimidating and very difficult but once you do it you realize you realize that it's not it's not really that intimidating uh, especially if you're opening up to the right person uh, because that person here's here's how you know you're opening up to that to the right person that person's going to be understanding that person is going to be empathetic with you they're not going to be judgmental they are not going to ridicule you 
they're going to try to connect with you on it. And they're going to try to get on your level so that you understand that you're not the only person dealing with it. Okay? So if you reach out and that's not what you get back initially, find a different person. Find a different person immediately. It's not that that person that you reached out to initially is a bad person. You know, it just maybe is not the right person. And it may be four or five times before you find the right person. And that's okay. Sometimes that happens. But what you'll learn by doing that is when you do find the right person and you make that connection, you'll be able to see that connection in other people almost instinctively. Okay? So you'll be able to be around a person for just a little while and you'll be able to recognize you'll be able to recognize you know the type of person that has characteristics that you want to have that deeper connection with and that's going to help you uh, that's going to help you in, in just basic relationship building in your life you know making friends um, even in business even you know in on a romantic level because that, that's the kind of person that you want to have a connection with. And, and the more that you do that, the more that you're open with other people, the more you're going to see that and the better you will become at recognizing it. I think that's one of the reasons why depression is affecting so many people in this current pandemic is because we are social creatures and we do have a a deep desire for belonging and community and you know right now we're having to isolate and so that's that's kind of been taking taken away from us and i think when we're not able to have that connection you know it, it does have adverse adverse uh effects on us um you know uh in prison, uh, I was a corrections officer at one point, and a lot of people don't know this, but there's actually a quote-unquote jail inside a prison system. So if you're in prison and you break the rules, uh, you'll probably be written up and a disciplinary hearing officer will go over that write-up with you. And there are consequences to that. Um, you may lose some of your good time, which is time off of your se prison sentence overall. Um, or you might go to the, quote, jail inside the prison, which is segregation, which is you're going to be in your cell 
you know, 23 hours a day by yourself. Um, and if I'm being honest with you, that was probably one of the reasons why I didn't like that job very much is because that's a pretty brutal punishment to impose upon someone. And as a corrections officer, you know, if someone broke the rules, it was my obligation to write them up. And uh, I was essentially, you know, sending someone to segregation when they broke the rules. And that, that was very uncomfortable for me. You know, I, d I didn't like that at all. Um, you know, it's different than just being lonely. It's, it's a pretty harsh punishment. And, uh, and I think a lot of us are experiencing that in this pandemic so that we can, you know, try to get ahead of this virus, try to preserve our own health. And so we're experiencing this, this adverse consequence, even though, you know, we're trying to do the right thing and protect ourselves, our health, and the health of other people. You know, it's just an unfortunate side effect of what's going on right now. And, you know, some days I still struggle, you know, some days it's a moment-to-moment -moment struggle. Some days it's just one moment of the day. Some days it's not a struggle. Um, it's not really something I think that I'll ever have completely whipped. Uh, basically because it's, it's just part of my brain chemistry. And it's part of who I am that... In my lifetime, I'm going to have this cycle of up and down. And it's by happenstance. It's self-inflicted. And, you know, fortunately now, I'm aware of it. I can take responsibility for it. And I can, you know, make sure that I'm doing the things that I'm supposed to do to have that control, you know, it's not a, it's not something that's just by happenstance going to happen to me anymore because, you know, I, I recognize that I can take steps to, to control it and have more control in my life because, you know, the only thing in this life that we can control is ourselves. And it starts with our thoughts, you know. Um, even though thoughts come to us randomly, you know, I don't have uh, a creative process of every thought that comes into my head. You know, that's part of the human condition is we just have thoughts. But like I said earlier... Your thoughts become your words, your words become your actions, and your actions become your habits. And I'm the only thing that I can control in this life, you know. 
So, to fully be in control, you got to go at the source. You got to go to the source. You got to go to the very basic building block and grab it. And don't let those pieces just fall where they want, fall where they will, you know. Take the initiative to have control over it. That's my advice. And, you know, I, it's not an easy thing. And if you think someone in your life needs to hear this, and you can relay the information, or you want to direct them to my podcast, that's fine too. But just keep in mind that until that person is ready to take these, to take this hope, take hold of the situation and be proactive, you know, you can tell them these, this stuff till you're blue in the face and it's not going to resonate with them. You know, it's kind of like that. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. And I like to go a little bit beyond that. You can put a saddle on a horse, but that doesn't mean you can ride it. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's going to stay there. So, you know, and if you feel, if you feel like, you know, this is you, I just, and you feel like you need to take the next step and be proactive. I'd, I'd just like to encourage you. Um, if you need someone to talk to, contact me. You know, we we can get you pointed in the right direction. You know, the main thing is not to let this become overwhelming. Don't let this get to the point where you don't have control over it like I did. That'll sneak up on you. Uh, you know, it happened to me without my knowledge because I let it happen. Absent-mindedly. So... I hope, if nothing else, that you'll take that advice. You know, don't let it, don't let it overwhelm you. Don't let it get to that point because once you get to that point, you've got a, a long road to get back to, uh, you know, even level-headedness. So, and I've been driving and... Uh, I got a little weather on me now. It's starting to rain. Uh, so I think it's probably best uh, for me to get off of here. Uh, maybe this is a good stopping point. I hope so. I hope maybe I've said something that makes sense to you. Um, maybe a little, a little piece of knowledge that you can, that you can put in your pocket. Uh, and ace up your sleeve, if you will. You know, another tool for you. Another way to think about things. Another way to approach things. And uh, that's what I'm doing this whole thing for. You know, I think that the tools I've got in my pocket, I think everybody, everybody can benefit from having them. So, thanks for listening. I'm sorry it took me so long to get this one out I promise it won't be so long for the next one and uh, 
I hope I hope you have a great day and a great week and I hope you are inspired to go out and make the little corner of the world that you exist in a little bit better this week. Go out and do something nice for somebody without any expectation, you know, of anything in return from that person. You'd be amazed at, uh, at what the universe will throw back towards you if you take that positive step. So, go out and do it. Don't make any excuses. Don't let yourself rationalize the reason not to. Tell that little voice in your head, hey, you be quiet, shut up. This is what we're doing from now on. And uh, you keep doing that and you'll start hearing another voice in your head that'll, you know, align with a more positive mindset. Catch you next time, Shotgun Rider.